In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is something God does. It's not something we know how to do. It's something that God does. When Joseph asks his brothers, am I in the place of God? He means his brothers to answer no, of course. Though they are fearfully trying to make him their master, Joseph claims his place among them as a brother. In jealousy, they had tried to kill him. They threw him down a well. When that didn't work out, they sold him into slavery, expecting never to see him again. But what they intended for evil, God was tending for good. Years later, perhaps, Joseph weeps because he's already forgiven these would-be murderous kin of his. Yet they are still flinching, expecting him to act out of desire for retribution and revenge. He weeps, I think, because he's already forgiven them and they do not know it. They're still cowering in fear. Am I in the place of God? No, he's one of them. They all serve God together. And, of course, on another level, <laughs> on another level, we also might answer, yes, uh, Joseph is showing us something of the character of God. A God who, even when human beings gang up to kill him, has already reached out to us, not in hostility, but with generosity. God wants to see us flourish. God has been pouring out forgiveness to us long before we thought to ask. And so Joseph's forgiveness of his brothers is an image of God's mercy toward all of us. He speaks kindly to them, reassures them, dries their tears. Forgiving is something that God does. It's not something human beings know how to do, but something done in us by grace. And to forgive like we see Joseph forgive, is to participate in the forgiveness of God. It's the merciful action of one who longs to see the captive set free. I was working as a hospital chaplain at the beginning of the pandemic. It was a bad scene, terrifyingly holy at times. I'll never forget being present at the deathbed of one particular older man. I was garbed up like I was going to the moon, holding the iPad, for his kids to be with him virtually. I felt the poverty, total inadequacy of the substitute, of course. Only a couple of this man's several children had any sort of relationship with him. It was fair enough. He'd been cruelly abusive. He'd served time in prison for it. The nurse's station was awash in gossip. Reportedly, he'd been able to become a good grandfather in the last decade of his life at least for the family members who agreed to see him. I didn't know what to believe, and it wasn't my business anyway. He was in and out of consciousness, but seemed to recognize the voices from the iPad. He was laboring to breathe, no longer aided by a ventilator. He was really suffering. These kids on the, through the iPad were talking to him, watching him struggle on their screens. Finally, his son said, Dad, it's okay. We forgive you. You can go. And this man took a shuddering breath in. He breathed out, and he immediately died. It was shocking. It's maybe the most merciful thing I have ever been privileged to witness. 
I'm always afraid that forgiveness is a dodge, that it will somehow excuse the inexcusable. But in that moment, what that man's son said and did was not a dodge. It was not an excuse. His words didn't change any of the horror that had happened in their family. He wasn't justifying it. He wasn't saying abuse was okay. But in that moment, his pronouncement had tremendous power to unbind the living dead. It wasn't cowering or hand-waving forgiveness, but a firm insistence that they had all suffered enough. No more of this. Let the prisoners go. Mercy like that, I think, is born from the understanding that there's no way to hold someone else in the prison of unforgiveness without locking ourselves there, too. In that moment, FaceTiming into a hospital room, that man, like Joseph, was in the place of God, participating in a mercy wide enough to wipe out all our painful accounting. A mercy committed to our flourishing in love and freedom. Forgiveness is something God does in us. It arrives, perhaps surprises us when it's already done. A lump sum, a debt canceled, the loan sharks called off, the end of Pharaoh's rule over the heart, at least in this matter. Thinking of, of the Jesus prayer as a prayer for forgiveness. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, forgive me, a sinner. And just as we pray that prayer in the unshakable assurance that God already has mercy on us, that mercy is simply flowing and overflowing, we pray also for forgiveness in the trust that God has already forgiven. It's in the meaning of the word itself, forgiveness, given as a gift, given beforehand. It's already given. It was given before. Forgiven. This forgiveness arrives as the gracious action of God for us and for others. Knowing ourselves as forgiven sinners and knowing ourselves caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny, in Dr. King's words, there comes a point where holding on to the grudge doesn't make sense. That knotted logic of unforgiveness starts to unravel when we see ourselves in each other when we know deeply the truth of our interrelatedness, our inescapable connection to each of our neighbors, human and non-human alike, each a part of our own very being. Forgiveness becomes the only way forward. Sin is collective and so, therefore, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a group project. When I say sin is collective, there are the obvious ways, the structural forces of systemic racism, a carceral state, the degradation of the good earth, consumerism so out of control it threatens to consume us all. There's no way for any of us to opt out of these forces of evil as an individual. We suffer together, we struggle together. We desperately need forgiveness and mercy together. And so too in our supposedly more private interactions. In intimate relationships, we are also caught in inescapable mutuality. We are tied together and complicit in each other's failings, actually. Continuing to hang on to that grudge 
starts to become absurd because we see ourselves implicated in each other. Who's holding the grudge over who? Unforgiveness how functions as an illusion of separateness. And that illusion doesn't stand up to our inquiry into it. The wind of the spirit can knock that one over pretty quick. We all belong to each other. We are tied together inescapably. Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant is an amazing work of hyperbole, a parable of extremes. Jesus stretches every detail to make his point. The first slave's debt comes in at 10,000 talents. And this in a time when a common worker might earn a single talent over the course of 20 years hard labor. One talent over 20 years. So 10,000 talents is an impossible sum, an impossible debt. He owes a billion, billion dollars, right? No way to ever pay it back on his own. There's no question of working harder, trying with more effort. He's stuck, imprisoned, and released by the free gift of another. Meanwhile, his fellow slave owes him a few denarii, a few months of labor. This freshly forgiven slave released from debtor's prison goes immediately to condemn his brother for a debt minuscule by comparison. When the king hears, he casts the first slave back into prison where he is tortured, presumably forever, since his debt is so impossible. Remember, this is hyperbole. God is not out to torture us. Quite the opposite. Jesus is using extremes to illustrate the extravagance of God's generosity toward us and to highlight the urgency of accepting and receiving and embracing what is being given. The unforgiving servant has been relieved of an impossible debt. It's the year of jubilee for this man, a proclamation of freedom, making the exodus. He's in the clear. But rather than rejoice or praise and gratitude, turn outward to pass on this incredible gift. He seizes his fellow slave by the throat. His unforgiveness is a refusal to pass on the mercy that has been given to him. And in that, He's already captive again, trapped in a captivity God wants to free us from. This freeing happens slowly and by grace. Forgiveness is a group project, and it is God's work in us. It's what Jesus does in those who follow him. Not once, not seven times, but 77 times. The church is a community of forgiveness where we come to recognize that we belong to each other as servants of the same master, as members of one body. We have all received mercy from God, and so we are practicing extending it to each other over and over. And accountability is part of this. A community of forgiveness has to witness to hurt among its members and redress it, acknowledge and face the wound as we make our winding exodus into freedom. We have all received mercy. And having received mercy, let us be mercy. Rather than clenching the fist around the neck of another, a fellow child of God who can't breathe, we can let God's forgiveness for us flow through us to be poured out for others as well. We can join Joseph, the man FaceTiming his father, 
and Jesus, the ultimate forgiving victim, in insisting on open hands and that merciful proclamation of reversal. Let the prisoners go. Amen.